Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, so today we are getting ready for communion, going to celebrate communion. To do that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, if you need a Bible, my Bible boys are ready. They're loaded up with Bibles. So just raise your hand nice and high and they'll bring a Bible to you. And I also have the verses up here on the screen behind. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. If you're using this Bible they're bringing around, it's page 683. Otherwise, it's the first book of the New Testament. If you have your own Bible, Matthew. And there's, if you need a Bible, be our guest, take it. It's our gift to you. We also have tapes and CDs of the service in the back there. Help yourself or you can go on the podcast. About, we're about two weeks behind. Go on the podcast and you can <clears throat> listen to the service on that too. But the title for today is Happy Are the Persecuted. Happy Are the Persecuted. <laughs> you came to the wrong Sunday, didn't you? Matthew 5.10. <clears throat> now we've been looking at the secret to true happiness here in the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes, and we're not talking about, remember we talk about this, we're not talking about that shallow emotional response to positive external circumstances. That's what most people think about as happiness. Things are going well in my life, so I'm happy. I have this good, good vibrations, good feelings, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, but this is different. The, the happiness that Jesus is talking about and the word that he's using for blessedness is talking about a supernatural joy that we have that doesn't depend on our external circumstances one little bit, but on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what our joy is depending on, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have the steps. We've been looking at the steps to uh, happiness, true happiness. And remember the ones that we follow, the, the different beatitudes on the way up. And, and the other one, the escalator's going... Oh, I don't have that behind me. Do I have a steps up there? Oh, it is behind me. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then the downward steps are the, the, the steps downward to misery. The world gives a different... It, just as Jesus gives steps going up, the world gives a different advice going down. And each of them are opposite. But step number eight, which we're on today, really blows our mind because it's totally opposite. The world says in order to be ha- happy, you need to be popular. But Jesus says in order to be truly happy, you need to be persecuted. We better pray about this one, right? Father, we thank you for the worship and the prayer this morning and all the ministries that are happening and lives being touched. Father, we pray, though, that we know that we know the word, your word, is what really changes our life and what really makes a difference. And just pray that the Holy Spirit, your spirit, would take your word and, and touch our hearts in a very special way this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5.10. We're on the, the eighth one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted. Once again, happy, but remember much more deep. It's much deeper than that. It's that unshakable joy that we're talking. <clears throat> now, if we, anybody needs proof that the Bible was not written by men... <laughs> this verse should clinch it, right? If we, have any, any, we need any proof that this is not a man-made book. This should do it because who in their right mind, you'd have to be crazy to use this as a recruitment verse, right? Yeah, come join our, our, uh, our religious club. Uh, in, in order to do that, you're going to have to be persecuted. 
Well, we don't need any more proof, right? It's also proof of human depravity and and the, the, the wickedness of the human heart and the result of our rebellion against God shows up very clearly. I mean, think about it. Isn't it amazing that we are persecuted because of righteousness? Doesn't that prove, you know, where we are without Jesus Christ, without God's help? That that people who try to live righteous are persecuted. Why? Don't people want righteousness? Don't they want it? Don't they want the right thing done? I mean, if someone robs your house, I hope nobody here has been robbed recently, but if someone robs your house, what do you do? Call the police, right? Christians, atheists even do that. You call the police. You want the right thing done, right? We all want the right thing done. But just don't try applying God's righteous expectations to somebody personally. See what I'm saying? We want, we want the right thing done if we get robbed. But just don't apply God's righteous expectations to someone personally, to us personally. Because that's when people get ticked off, and that's when the persecution starts, and that's when, that's when there's this, this anger. And if we try as Christians, if you're a Christian, maybe you're here seeking, that's great. But if, if you're a Christian and we try to live righteous, holy lives, it's going to tick people off. Why? Because it's convicting. Because we're radically different if we try to live according to God's word versus according to the world's philosophy, right, principles. If we try to live according to God's word and the words of Jesus Christ, it's going to really tick people off because we're radically different. In fact, in First Peter 4, verses 3 to 5, Peter says this. He says, <clears throat> talking to people who have just become Christians, he said, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years, right? But then he says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We, we get attacked for trying to live a holy life. People don't understand it. They think we're crazy. We are crazy, according to the world, right? And, and they attack. I remember when we started this church 11 years ago. Coming into town, and I remember getting phone calls from some very irate people. And they were calling and saying, you can't start a Bible you, well, first they said, do you believe the Bible? I go, yes, I do. Do you believe A, X, Y, Z? They gave me a bunch of lists. I go, yes, I believe all those things that the Bible teaches. They said, you cannot come here into New Hope and start this church. And they threatened me and carried out those threats. Some Remember, for those who were here at the very beginning, uh, do I see any hands? Remember the policemen sitting in the back of the, the sta- uh, here be- keeping these people out? They were trying to come in. And, Why? I had never, not even preached one time. I had... They didn't know me. I'd never said anything to these people, but just knowing that we believe the Bible. And the words of Jesus Christ earned us hate. Hate. And, and that's, that's a picture, because if we're, if we, we're Bible-believing Christians, we're going to be hated, and there's going to be persecution, because people hate godliness. Understand something. And a lot of us remember before we came to Christ... I didn't like godliness. Did anybody here? No, that's against our natural disposition. People who don't know Jesus Christ hate godliness. And they hate those who try to live godly lives or believe God's truth. And don't forget who did most of the persecuting. We're going to talk about this here. Who did most of the persecuting in the New Testament times and throughout history? It was the so-called religious establishment. Right? Who, Who... 
was behind the crucifixion of Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people of that time. Not all the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were not taking on Jews by any means. But the religious establishment, the political religious establishment, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. They were open to him, but the religious establishment were the ones who didn't want that because they were really carnal and worldly. And, and it's been the same way throughout history. The, 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 the Pharisees were the ones who persecuted the Christians for all those times. The Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians persecuted them. And then you go on throughout history and you see what, what would happen all throughout history. The same thing. Let me just read you a couple illustrations here. <clears throat> To show you how the religious establishment and how they hate godliness and holiness and those who try to follow Jesus Christ. I was, there's a book called um, Faithful Unto Death. And it was talking about the underground church back in the 1500s. How the underground church, there's a whole movement within the church because the church had become so apostate. There was an underground church movement where people said we have to study the Bible and take what the Bible teaches, not what the religious leaders are teaching. We're going to study what the Bible teaches. And we're also going to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not going to try to earn our salvation by following these religious rules that the church has set up. We're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation because that's the only way to have salvation. That's what the Bible clearly taught. They could see that. And, and as a result of their determination to do this, there's incredible persecution by the church, the established church at that time. Not all the church. Many, many godly people in that church at that time. But the political structure... The political religious establishment is what persecuted those who were really trying to follow the Bible and follow Christ. And there's a, a story, a lot of good stories here, but one is called, his name was Jan Block. He was a wealthy young man in the Netherlands, 15, 1569 is when he died. Jan Block was a wealthy young man and as a consequence did not have to work or do anything. So he spent all of his time, he was a, they said he was a 16th century playboy. He just would go into taverns and, and live the nightlife in the area. And one friend was a good friend of his named Simon, who had a reputation of also being a big drinker, just like Jan. They were the party boys. And, but through the, un, the influence of the underground church at that time, the one that believed in the Bible and believed in faith in Christ, all the things that we believe, right? Uh, he, his friend became a Christian and stopped going to the taverns with him. He, he left, he, he started, he left his old life and stopped going to the taverns. He gave his life to Jesus Christ and he would constantly share his faith with Jan, and, and, the, and, and Jan could see that he wasn't happy. Jan said, I wasn't happy, and I saw a deep sense of peace and satisfaction with my friend Simon. He starts witnessing to Jan. Jan was so impressed with his new faith and his changed life, so he said, for the first time I began to study the Bible for myself. He had never read the Bible, and he started to read the Bible, and as he read the New Testament, he began convicted of his own emptiness and the waste of his life. And he became aware of God's call for him to live a new life. And he was baptized as a believer. Bible teaches very clearly, believe and be baptized. And as a result of that, he had a fellowship. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ. It says here, his new life could not be hidden, for Jan was well known. Persons at the tavern began asking where Jan Block was. Others asked him personally what had happened to him. As he witnessed to his new life with Christ, the word of his conversion to, the, to his new faith soon got around, and the authorities, the religious authorities, found out, and they sent out somebody to arrest him. They didn't catch up to him in time. They took all of his money, his wealth. He was a wealthy young man. They finally caught up to him and arrested him. Uh, one of his friends turned him in. Long story. 
took him to trial and tried to persuade him to recant because they said, if you don't recant your faith, if you don't return to the church and, and stop this foolishness reading your Bible and, and saying you're going to believe in Jesus, uh, we're going to burn you at the stake. And they, they kept uh, trying to persuade him. In fact, one of his good friends tried to persuade him. He reminded them, this is, what, this is the whole point about if we try to live a godly life, and, and it's okay. Well, look. He reminded them that when he lived a careless life, no one was concerned. He's telling the, the religious authorities this, right? When I lived a, a sinful life, nobody was concerned about me. Nobody came and talked to me. But now that he had changed and was serving Christ, they were against him. Think about that. One of the lords who had formerly been a close friend of Jan, one of the lords of their judges, had formerly been a close friend of Jan, tried to save him by converting him to the Roman church. But Jan responded, you should have converted me when we were together in the house of pleasure and each of us had a harlot on his lap. He said, we got these you know, prostitutes on our laps and you never had a problem with me then, but now that I've given my life to Christ, you're going to kill me? Think about that. And his sentence was pronounced, he was to be burned at the stake. They said when he was burned at the stake, he had so much peace, and he was so calm, that several of the judges began weeping at, the burning, at his burning. 1579 in the Netherlands. That's a picture, isn't it? That's a picture of what, you know, the world didn't, the religious establishment didn't care what he was living in the taverns, but when he started to follow Christ, that, that's when he got it, Right? Isn't that crazy? How could they do this? The same reason that the Pharisees killed Jesus. And the same reason that, that the, the Roman Catholic persecution began, and then after that, the Protestant persecution. A lot of people don't realize, but the Protestant church persecuted true believers for many, many years. And, and the same reason that the Muslims today are persecuting people. It all comes back to the words of Jesus. In, in John chapter 15, it says this. This is, a hard thing to, this is a hard thing to preach, by the way. In John 15, it says here, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is the why the world hates you. Verse 20 says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Wow. Verse 21, he who hates me hates my father as well. The reason, the reason that there's, that the religious persecution is because the people that are persecuting don't know the one true God or his son, Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, had tried to turn the, the Jewish religion into a, a, a man-made religion. And they left out faith in God and they just made all these rules that people had to follow to, to, to achieve some kind of salvation in their eyes. But they left out the whole point of putting the, the faith of Abraham and that he was saved through faith, not by works. The Holy Catholic Church, which we're all part of, evolved over time after Constantine evolved into the Roman Catholic Church. And when it evolved into the Roman Catholic Church, it became a political, religious political structure, which, which started to teach a, a religion of, of works and attack the people who had their true faith in Christ. And that's not all Roman Catholics. Many of you are from Roman Catholic backgrounds. Many people in the Roman Catholic Church now today believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about the political, religious structure that, that that's what I'm talking about and that 
move the church, evolve the church from faith in Christ to work salvation, which is no salvation at all. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that was the same, that was what began to persecute the true believers, is this Roman church. In fact, the, we all hear about the Crusades and, and how much the Crusades did to Muslims and all that. And it's true. First of all, we're not part of that. The crusade, the very first crusade was sent against evangelical Christians. Bible-believing Christians in France. Did you know that? First crusade was sent against the heretics who believed the Bible. The underground church wiped out thousands and thousands of them. That's, that's what crusades were. Crusades were used against not just Muslims. They were get, used against heretics and what we call Bible-believing Christians. And then, but just so, you, so we're not just picking on one group, the Reformation happened, the, the Protestant Reformation. You would think, okay, things are going to be better now, right? Well, there was some good that came out of that, getting back to the Bible and studying the Word. But that evolved into a political, religious structure. And the, the new system, the Reformation movement, began to persecute the underground church. The, the underground church said, here we are, great, this is super. Here we are, we're all going to read the Bible together. Oh no, you're not allowed to baptize believers. They made up their own rules. You can't baptize a believer. Well, the Bible teaches, believe and be baptized. But all, if they caught somebody baptized, somebody who said, I became a Christian, and now I want to be baptized, they caught them doing that. You know what the, the ref, a lot of the Reformation churches would do? They would take the person and sew them into a bag and put rocks in and throw them into the river and drown them. So you want to be baptized? Go be baptized permanently. That's what was going on. The, the Calvinist movement was doing this to believers. Why? Because it, the Bible says very clearly, those that persecute don't know the one true God or Jesus Christ. They are li- it's a religious political system, not a system of faith. And now today we have a whole new movement of persecution that went to the communists and it just keeps passing on. Satan uses a new system each time, but now he's using, now the enemy is using the Muslims to persecute Christians throughout the world, everywhere. And Muslims, the reason is, is they do not, know the one true God. They claim there's one true God, but we don't worship the one tr- we don't worship the same God as the Muslims worship. You want proof? The words of Jesus Christ. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And the reason that the Muslim religion is persecuting Christians is they worship a different God. If you want to have a long conversation with me, do that. I'll, I'll show you the progression and show you that it's impossible that we worship the same God. But the words of Christ, there's an intense hatred. Now, I'm not saying all Muslims. Listen, most Muslims are what we call nominal Muslims. You know how there's nominal Christians that don't, aren't really Christians, they're just kind of cultural? Well, most Muslims fall into that category. I'd say about 80% of the Muslims in the world are just culturally Muslims. I was in the Philippines, and they're, they're not looking to hurt anybody. They don't even care what you are. You know, most, most, they're, they're, they're apostate, really, according to, you know, the Muslim faith. Uh, and, and most are, are nominal, cultural, and that's why many are converting to Jesus Christ. Many, many are converting to Christ, because they don't really believe the whole Muslim thing. They're, they're looking for the one true faith. But, there is an intense hatred for those who really follow the Quran, because the Quran teaches something that Christians and Jews are, to be enslaved, killed, or heavily taxed, you know? There's only three options, all right? That's what it actually teaches, all right? And, and that's why we see in Egypt, this whole Arab Spring has turned into a Muslim winter. 
The Egypt, if you have any friends in Egypt, you know what's going on there. They're killing Christians everywhere. There's open season on them. So much for this whole, you know, freedom movement, right? Uh, in Afghanistan, here we are liberating Afghanistan. There's now not one single church left in Afghanistan. Church building. They've all been destroyed by the Muslims. Did you know that? Not one single church. It, it, Voice of the Martyrs, if you've never read Voice of the Martyrs, I want to encourage you to get that. Or church, church, uh, Open Door Ministries, I put it in the bulletin there. You can Google both of those websites, get the magazines, read the updates. It's amazing what's going on, but I'm not going to read this. There's just so many, there's so many stories of, the, of this persecution. And, and the bottom line is, it's... it's uh, Jesus' words, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know the one. And do you know who's to blame for all of this? Who's to blame for all this persecution going on, especially in the Muslim world? Well, there's just, and this is going to shock you, there's a new, Joseph Bottom wrote this thing called Christian Provocations. He says, you know who is to blame for all this persecution? The Christians are. Or at least that's what the mainline Christian organizations seem anxious to assure us. The victimized Christians in these countries have asked for it by the very act of being open believers and missionaries. They are intensifying the global threat to freedom of religion. So the World Council of Churches the Pontifical Council of Interreligious Dialogue of the Holy See, and the World Evangelical Alliance, that's all of all the different major Christian groups, right, have joined together to do something about it by urging their fellow Christians to have to behave less provocatively. Can you believe that? Instead of coming out, as this group should have come out and said, please stop killing Christians. No, they've come out and said, Christians, please keep your mouths shut and keep your faith to yourself. Well, you know Jesus says, let your light shine before men. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But no, no, no. Hide your light under the bushel. Don't let anybody know you're a Christian. Because they, they're going to kill you and they're going to persecute you and they're gonna, it's going to cause trouble. Is that unbelievable? It's the fault of the Christians who are just trying to live openly Christian lives. It's their fault, the persecution. We're getting the picture, Right? They will treat you this way because of my name. And think of those three organizations. Because they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus says, you're persecuted, but you're blessed. Because the kingdom of God belongs to, to that you. And remember the first beatitude and then the last one here? Well, it's connected with the other one, the, last, the ninth. Begins and ends with the kingdom of God. I can't explain to you how persecuted people can be blessed, but I can illustrate it for you. I can't explain it because it's one of those unexplainable things, but I can illustrate it for you. This comes from Kay Arthur's Beatitudes book. Love it. She was writing about Har- Harlan Popoff, who was under the communist persecution, and, and he's talking about how the communists sought to destroy the Christian faith. <clears throat> we all know how that turned out. This is what he writes. As the fires of persecution grew, they burned away the chaff and stubble and left only the golden wheat. The suffering purified the church and united the believers in a wonderful spirit of brotherly love such as must have existed in the early church. 
Petty differences were put aside. Brethren loved and cared for one another and carried one another's burdens. There were no nominal or lukewarm believers. It made no sense to be a half-hearted Christian when the price for faith was so great. There came a great spiritual depth and richness in Christ I had never seen in the times before when we were free. Every man and woman and youth was forced to count the cost and decide if serving Christ was worth the suffering. And to the communist great regret, this was the healthiest thing that could have been done for the church. For the insincere gave up But the true Christians became aware of what Christ meant to them and became more dedicated than ever before. And that's what happens in persecution. There's a blessing for the church. People in Protestant churches, Roman Catholic churches, people in underground churches and Bible-believing churches and mainline churches, all the true believers in this whole group come together as one true body in Christ. That's what happens. Read the history of persecution. That's what happens. That's the blessing. That's the blessing of persecution and all suffering, really. That's the blessing of all suffering. Remember James 1, 2 to 4? Remember we studied James a while back? Great, great book. That was a lot of fun. But remember James 1, 2 to 4 where it says, consider it, I know I'm going to forget something. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we talked about the purpose of trials and suffering and persecution. There's a positive purpose that God allows us to go through the persecution or or suffering or sickness or whatever the trial you name it we're all in a lot right but but the key is not to view the trial or a difficult person in our life when we talk about difficult people how God puts them in our life not to view that person as a pb a pain in the butt remember that the pb but a pj up here, joy. And I remember for about a month after people come up, I still got my PJ in my life. I still got my PJ. You know, here's my PJ. Yeah, but, but don't see it as a PB, but a PJ. It's a pure joy because God is accomplishing something positive. He's using it to refine our life. That's what he's doing. And God refines us. He's constantly refining us. In fact, the persecution re- refining. First Peter 1, verse, 1 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7 says this. It says talking about those who put their faith in Christ, he says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer trial and all suffer, I'm sorry, suffer, suffer, trying to go by memory, sorry about that, uh, suffer grief and all kinds of trials. They, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's talking about golden faith. And how do we get this golden faith? By being refined through trials. 
including persecution. Peter's writing to those who are being persecuted. That, that golden faith. The Bible talks about how God refines our faith. And, and many times the Bible talks about refining gold and silver and, and compares that to the refining of our lives that God uses in our life and, and the fire he uses. And once again, okay, Arthur, same little article right, right by that persecution one, brought out a great point on this. I just love it. It says, with the purification of silver, and this is really good, with a purification of silver, when silver is first taken from the earth, it's tainted by various impurities. Purification occurs in a crucible over a hot flame. The process of heating the metal to a molten state and skimming off the impurities may be repeated as often as seven times. With each purifying fire more intense than the last. So you have to keep making the fire hotter and hotter to get out more impurities to come up and you keep skimming the impurities off the top. In this way, the metal finally yields the last of its impurities, leaving pure silver behind. During this process, the silversmith skims off the, the dross that floats to the top, looking into the smooth pool of molten metal, the craftsman searches for his own reflected image. On the surface. At first the image is very dim. He knows that impurities remain. So he builds the fire to even a greater intensity. He never leaves the crucible unattended but hovers beside it watching it closely. He repeats the process over and over until finally he can see a clear and perfect image of himself. When the silver becomes a mirror, he knows that it's pure. And that's what God's doing with us. That's what Jesus is working in our lives. He's refining us until he can see the image of Christ. Until he can see himself in our lives. He keeps putting us through these trials. Do we like it? (laughs) No, we don't pray for persecution. We don't pray for trials, usually. (laughs) But we know that there's a positive purpose. He's trying to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He's trying to make us like Christ through this, 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 this refining. How is God refining us this morning? Will we let him refine us? Will we surrender the junk? It makes it a lot easier when we surrender it, doesn't it? He doesn't have to make the fire so hot. But when we won't surrender it, he heats it up some more. And this is an important part of communion is the reflection on our life and repentance and daily communing. Forget the communion here, but daily communing with God. That's what it's all about, communing with him and daily doing that. And maybe you're here saying you're not a Christian yet. You're still searching, you're seeking God, you're searching. And maybe God is using something very difficult in your life to get your attention. That's what God usually does, doesn't he? He uses something in our life to show us that we absolutely need Jesus Christ. And maybe he's using that because he doesn't want us to live an empty life, a worthless life. He wants to find our true fulfillment in him through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we go to communion this morning, how is God speaking to us? Maybe he's calling you to become a Christian this morning, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. To say, God, I believe Jesus died on that cross. That's what the communion elements are. It's the, it's the, the, Bread represents the body of Christ and the juice represents the blood of Christ. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering what he did. He died for us and that we we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And maybe today's that time that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he died for us on that cross and took our sin upon himself and, and we can be forgiven completely and have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe as a Christian, this time of communion is a time of refining. What do we need to surrender this morning? What do we need to repent of this morning? Maybe this morning, with communion, is remembering those who are being persecuted. And it's a communion, this would be a very special communion with all the persecuted church, that all Christians of, of all denominations in every country that has truly put their faith in Jesus Christ, when they take communion, they're unified in spirit together. And we're unified with the persecuted church. Persecution is coming to the United States. I'm no prophet, but I can tell you this much. Persecution is coming to the United States. We see the signs of it, and not only that, it has to come. Because there's no way this church is, the church in America will be purified without it. But we also see the signs of it. And we must be, are we ready for that? Are we in communion with Jesus Christ and ready for what we're going to face? For communion this morning, I want to use a passage from Matthew. The same Matthew who wrote Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted. For, theirs is a, for righteousness, for there's the kingdom of heaven. This same Matthew, the same one who wrote those words, something else happened to Matthew. He, he was not only writing something, but in the voice of the martyrs, they had a little story on Matthew. It says here, Matthew's fingers wrote Jesus' words in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later, Matthew's fingers were nailed to the ground, at Nevadar, Nadavar, I'm sorry, Nadavar, Ethiopia, around 70 A.D. While teaching a group of Christians, he was seized under the orders of King Hytacus. His feet and hands were pinned to the ground by stakes in the ground, and they, they cut his head off. That's what happened to Matthew. He knew what he was talking about. And he also recorded the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. And this is what Matthew recorded. He said, While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The bread and the Grape juice represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And when we take it, we remember his sacrifice for us. And what we'll do in just a few moments, we'll just um, have some worship and some time of prayer and quietness. And when you're ready, it's a little crazy up here. We'll do our best. Usually we have it in the middle here, but with the orchestra pit. But just come up, and when you're ready, just take, take the elements. And you can take it back to your seat. You can... Kneel down wherever you want. You can sit with family and friends, or you can do it any way you want to. Or if you're not ready, that's okay. Nobody has to take this. This is between you and God. No, we're not keeping track or videotaping or anything like that. This is just between you and God. But if you feel led to take the Lord's Supper today, come and take it when you're ready. And I just want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, wait, because this is for those who have put their faith in Christ. But if you have, great, do it. Or if there's something in our life that we're not willing to give over to God. There's something that God is saying, hey, give that up. And we're saying, no, you can't have this, God. Wait, because the Bible doesn't say we have to be perfect, but we have to be willing to let God have whatever he's asking for. Especially 
purity and, and, and the sin. Not that we have to be perfect, but there's, there's something that's unconfessed, and we say, no, God, I'm hanging on to this. Wait. The Bible's very clear on that, not to be, fall under judgment. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, preparing for communion, how is God speaking to each one of us? Maybe there's something in our life that God wants to refine this morning. He wants us to surrender to him this morning. Would you do that so that we can really, so you could really commune with God? Because don't leave anything in between us and Jesus. What do we need to confess? What do we need to give over? What do we need to give up? What do we need to surrender this morning to have true communion? Today and every day with Jesus. While we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you're searching, you're seeking, you want a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've tried religion, following all those religious rules, and you know that didn't do anything, did it? Because there's only one way to a relationship with God the Father, and that's by putting your faith, our faith, in his son Jesus Christ. That's all it takes, nothing else. And you can do that right where you're sitting. Right where you are right now, you don't need anybody else's between you and God. Just ask God to forgive you. Say, God, I, I want to turn away from all the sin in my life. I repent of that. I ask to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. I believe he gave his body and blood on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. I ask for forgiveness. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my heart to him. I trust in him total faith, and I give my life to Jesus. I surrender this life to you, God. If you've just put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can now have communion with God the Father anytime through his son, Jesus. You don't need to be in church. You can be anywhere, in bed, in the shower, in the car, anywhere, and you can commune. You can talk with God your Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And the life you gave away, you're going to get back a whole brand new life, a real life, the life he always meant you to have, the life he created us to have. You will begin to discover, and I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a friend. Let me know. Felt the card. Call me, email me, tell me. Let, let me know so that I can encourage you in your new faith. Father, we pray that this first communion of this year would be very special. And Lord, as we take it, we remember those all around the world in every church, every denomination, every country, every situation, especially those who are being persecuted. The true faith. We, we want to commune with you, with them this morning. In Jesus' name.